1: Why do we hate estate planning? For me, it was one of the last things I tackled. I taught myself how to earn, to save, and even how to invest. I learned about retirement and how to calculate the necessary assets. But estate planning, that one I dreaded. And it wasn't that I had issues facing mortality. I mean, come on, I'm a hospice doctor. It's nothing new to me. It's just that estate planning can be so darn complicated can't we just find a way to make it straightforward? Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock are the founders and creators of Women Who Money. Their forthcoming book is entitled Estate Planning 101, From Avoiding Probate and Assessing Assets to Establishing Directives and Understanding Taxes, Your Essential Primer to Estate Planning. Amy and Vicki, welcome to Earn and Invest. Amy, let me start with you, why do we hate estate planning
0: so much? I think because it sounds complicated, right? Financial planning, people even think is complicated. And then estate planning, not only does it sound complicated, it talks, it makes you think about the end of life, right? Either a time when you're not gonna be here anymore or a time when you might become incapacitated or something of that nature. It just isn't a fun topic.
1: Yeah, these are things that I am so used to talking about because as a physician, I've always dealt with end of life. And then I became a hospice physician. So it was really normal for me. But I think you're right. For the average person, talking about mortality isn't necessarily comfortable. We avoid state estate planning. Vicki, tell me how old were you when you first started seriously looking at your estate plan?
2: I was in my 40s when we finally got our act together. I had a will previous to that in my thirties after I had kids, but we got serious about it in our forties as we started to actually understand more about fire and protecting our wealth. I, I think, I think we didn't think we had all that much. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, we just need a simple will, but I am in a divorce situation too. And, and all of a sudden, like there are a lot more things to consider as you get older, as you build more wealth but really, I should have had some of these documents in place in my 20s. And that was a big mistake. And that's what, you know, that's what I've learned over the years is that as complex as we make it, it's not, it really doesn't need to be, at least for some of the simple documents. Amy address the
1: same question. What was it for you that was the impetus to start looking at estate planning in your own life? And how old were you when you first tackled it?
0: Like Vicky, it was really in the in the 40s. It was as we as I realized that our wealth was building and again a, a divorce situation, having children, remarrying someone who also had children, and wanting to make sure that we each felt protected and that our children were protected and you know, trying to reach some semblance of fairness, I guess.
1: Fairness. Why did that come into it?
0: well i think really wanting to make sure the children felt that there was fairness that my children weren't receiving less or his children weren't receiving less that kind of a thing so so it was more from the perspective of who we were leaving behind
1: vicky amy just talked about the perspective of who we're leaving behind and you both kind of mentioned divorce maybe acquiring wealth as the beginning impetus does everybody need a formalized estate plan i mean Is this something we should all be doing or are there certain life milestones that tell us, okay, it's time to start doing this?
2: Well, hitting 18 is actually (laughs) one of the milestones for some of the, again, some of the most simple pieces of your estate plan. And I, I wonder if sometimes the whole calling it an estate plan is what's stopping people from taking even those first steps. You know, because they think they have to have an estate. and an estate is something that you know, I don't even think I have still based on based on definitions from ages ago when when you used to think that you needed to have, needed to have you know, a seven figure investment account in in a big house and and jewelry and art and but an estate is really just the things you own. so so yeah, I, I think. Going back starting at 18 with the most simple documents. And then as you start to build build wealth, even a small amount, or when you have a child, you need to get the will in place. And then some of the other documents like a trust, you know, those will come into play later on for people. But your, you know, your advanced directives, your power of attorney, those pieces should be in place when you're a lot younger. So
1: let's make it simple, Amy. When you're 18. 18- what is kind of like the minimum that you should start with?
0: The advanced healthcare directives are your minimum. And that's because if something were to happen to you, an illness, a debilitating accident, something like that, you may need someone else to step in and uh, handle your medical care or speak for you for any medical uh, treatment or end-of-life wishes If if there was a drastic accident. Even something as simple as kids away at college, they could get seriously sick if their parents, if they don't have a, an advanced health care directive or HIPAA authorizations, their parents might not be able to intervene and and help, you know, with their with their healthcare medical treatments. And then the next thing would be a power of attorney document for financial matters. So again, if you're something happens to you, whether it be incapacitating, injury, accident, or, you know, even a death, somebody might need to step in and handle your financial matters. But but the power of attorney, I guess, it would be before death, If you know, in a situation where you're not able to handle your finances, somebody else can step in and just pay your bills, pay rent on your apartment, pay your car payment, that kind of thing. And then the basic will, as Vicki said, as you start to accumulate assets and then when you get into having children, starting a family, getting married, that's when you might want to look at a more extensive will where you're naming guardians and that kind of thing. Some other documents that might even come into play prior to that would be perhaps a prenuptial agreement, you know, or making sure that you have beneficiaries named on life insurance, that you have transferred de- on death or payable on death, named on bank accounts, checking accounts, and everybody probably not, you know, probably everybody has a checking and savings account and they should need to make sure that they do have either a beneficiary listed on there or um, a joint account owner, that kind of thing.
1: I want to get back to the transfer on death benefits because eventually we'll talk about this thing called probate, which confuses everybody. But Vicki, we were just mentioning that advanced directives for healthcare is one of the important first few things to do, even when you're young. But then we also started talking about wills. I think we get a lot of confusion out there between what a living will is and what a will is. What is a living will, and is it related at all to a regular will, or is it more about healthcare stuff?
2: Yeah, your living will is about healthcare. Those are the decisions you're going to make so that other people don't have to make them for you. And I think that's, you know, kind of the power of what Amy was talking about that, you know, if something, if something bad happened to you, if you don't have your living will in place, someone else is going to have to make those decisions, you know, and again, we're talking something really bad um, has happened to you about, you know, end of life care and what you want. So to take control, you want that living will in place so that your wishes are followed and, and it kind of removes removes those really difficult decisions during such an emotional time. Again, if something happens to you, your loved ones are going to be grieving. They're going to be, you know, in a place and and now they have to make decisions that you could have made ahead of time. And that's, I think that's the power is, is taking control and, and not putting your loved ones in that position. They're already going to be in a really hard position.
1: Amy, it's an interesting point, because I think most people, when they come to estate planning, they really think of it as, what's going to happen to my money and things when I die? When we're talking about living wills, we're really now getting into, well, maybe I'm still alive, but there are other decisions that I need to make, and I'm incapacitated. Estate planning is a much broader thing than just what happens after you die.
0: Yeah, most definitely. I recently have had to act as a conservator and a guardian for an adult aunt, and there were many, many, many things that I needed to do for her financially and healthcare wise. And so, yes, it's, this was, you know, before her death and then unfortunately she did pass away. And so now I'm, you know, acting as executor of her estate through probate. So it's been a very extensive process. Amy, when you were acting as a
1: conservator, does that mean that you were not her power of attorney at the time that she became ill and therefore had to go through the court system to actually establish that? Yes, correct. Good segue there. <laughs> well, yes. well, tell us about that process. Yeah, because that yeah. most people don't realize how complicated and difficult the process it is. And this is the whole purpose of having the power of attorney set forth.
0: Correct. Correct. So, yes, if you have a power of attorney named in a a power of attorney for financial matters, and then a power of attorney for your health health care. That person steps in and acts on your behalf. If you become incapacitated, if you don't have those documents, then people will have to go to court to uh, be declared an emergency conservator or guardian for you. In my aunt's case, she did have a power of attorney named and a uh, conservator you know, for healthcare as well named, but that individual was no longer acting in her best interest. So it needed to be an emergency situation where I was appointed to then step in and, and take, you know, take over. So that brings up another point about if you do have these documents in place, make sure you keep them up to date. Make sure as you age, as other people age, or circumstances change in your life or their life, you update your documents so that you do have the right people looking out for you.
1: Yeah, it's an important point because the people who are going to have to make decisions for you really have to act in a way that is fitting with your beliefs and your values. And if you choose unwisely, it certainly can create this kind of problem. Tell me about the process of being a conservator, Amy once you are, it's not like once you're named conservator, it's over. Don't you have to report back to the court every so often and let them know exactly what's happening?
0: Correct. You're actually acting as a, a fiduciary in that uh, capacity for, for financial. And so, yes, I had to keep accurate accounting records. I had to um, file a report with the courts once a year. And they do you know, look through all the financials and make sure everything makes sense. I needed to sell her home to pay for assisted living for her. So I did have to go to the court to get permission to sell the home once we had a official offer on the home and had to wait for the judge to declare it, that yes, that was acceptable. And then, then I was able to proceed with the sale of the, the home then also had to file all the paperwork once it was closed. So that showed where all the money went. And so there has to be accurate paper trails, bank statements, all that kinds of thing.
1: So Vicki, we've been talking about healthcare power of attorneys. We've been talking about financial durable power of attorneys. That's all part of your healthcare and your financial directives. That's separate from a will. Tell us what a will is and what's it, what its purpose is.
2: The will's purpose is to take care of basically your estate. So it, it'll be it'll include everything that isn't already named to a beneficiary. Like a lot of your accounts, a lot of a lot of what you own will already be going to someone, but the will will take care of everything
0: else. As Vicki mentioned, so for um, many of your accounts, your retirement accounts, your bank accounts, life insurance policies, brokerage accounts, you will have a beneficiary name and whoever is named on those will inherit those accounts. Any property that you own jointly will also pass to that joint owner depending on the laws of your state. So it does vary some state uh, by state. In your will, though, you can document other things that you want people to inherit. Say you are just the sole owner of your home or a vacation home in another area of your state, you would, in your will, name somebody to inherit that property that isn't jointly owned with another person, for example, or your prized art collection or prized wine collection, things that don't have a listed beneficiary and are not jointly owned by someone else through marriage or some other arrangement.
1: So Vicki, it almost sounds like the will is for all those things that aren't
2: otherwise covered somewhere else. Exactly. Yes. And again, it some people hesitate to do the will because they know those things will change. You know, their house, they're, they're going to downsize their house or they're, you know, they're going to sell their art collection or so they you know, they think, well, I'll just put it off till I'm, till I'm ready, till I've done Done all the things I want to do, then I'll make my will. But again, it doesn't have to be that specific either. You could list, you know, household items could go to a beneficiary. You know, you, it, you don't have to make it for every every little thing you own. You know, the, the attorneys will help encompass, you know, use that language to, to get it to the right people.
0: The other thing you would do in your will is name a guardian for your children, for any mar- minor children that you have that would go in your will as well.
1: Yeah and 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 that's very important just because you want to make sure that you've actually talked to those people and figured out where your kids will best be god forbid something
2: happens to you. Correct. Well that's the concern with you know learn as we learned more about this in writing the book the uh, intestacy laws you know you might think well you know the kids would go to my sister the kids would go it's not always going to happen that way again it's you taking control by by writing your will if not state law will dictate some of that certainly the court systems and the judges will will work with the people who you, who you leave behind but you don't want to just assume that your money will go to certain people because it might not
1: vicky you use the term intestacy that's just a fancy word for person
2: not having a will is that correct yes yep so that's that's a term that we use now you know when we're talking to people that you know you'll you'll hear that in the court system but we need to know that too, that if you die without a will, there's a set of laws that are, that will be followed with input from your loved ones.
1: We are talking to Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock. They are the founders and creators of Women Who Money. We are talking today about estate planning. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is Earn and Invest. Let's be honest. Investing can be confusing. I remember the first time I decided to transfer all my money to a third party broker. I was confused. Now I've started using Public. Public is an app that is different from almost anything I've used before. On public.com, you can invest with any amount of money. You can invest in $1,000 stocks with just $1. That's right, one buck. The ability to buy slices of shares offers more flexibility on what you want to add to your portfolio. One of the cool things about Public is it's not only a means to invest, but it's also a social app. That's right. You can follow along with other investors and see what they're thinking about the market today. What are they investing in? When you invest with public.com, you're never investing alone. They make it easy to collaborate and build your confidence as an investor. I really think you should check them out. Public.com. Use code EAI when you download the app. And that way you'll let them know that you're coming from Earn and Invest and you'll get $50 in free stock to get started in growing your portfolio. This is valid for U.S. residents only 18 and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. We are here with Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock. Their forthcoming book is Estate Planning 101 from Avoiding Probate and Assessing Assets to Establishing Directives and Understanding Taxes, Your Essential Primer to Estate Planning. Amy, it sounds like we've created this basic toolbox. So there we have things like medical advance directives, medical power of attorney, financial power of attorney. We, of course, have our beneficiary designations as well as a basic will. That almost sounds like part and parcel what every person needs to start with. But a lot of us get confused about what happens if we don't have those things, especially with the will. Tell me this term probate comes up a lot, and I think it scares people. What is probate and why is it such a problem?
0: Probate is actually the process of the court systems settling your estate. So if you do not have a will, as Vicky mentioned, your estate will still go through probate, but now the court system decides based on state law, what happens to your things or to your minor children. When you have a will, you still go through the probate system, through the court system, but now a judge is ensuring that the executor you've named or the personal representative you've named is acting in your best interest to settle your estate. It's also a time when people who may disagree with your will or wanna challenge your will could present themselves in front of the judge asking for, for something. During the probate process in the settling of your estate, that's when creditors may approach to be paid. Again, it's also when other people in the family may approach and and agree or not agree. It's quite a, a process to go through probate the bigger your estate is. Some estates are very simple, maybe not a lot of money involved. Probate could be done within maybe six months. More challenging estates large assets, that could take a year or even more, depending on the size of an estate.
1: So Vicki, it sounds like all wills go through some sort of probate, but then we can use some of these different ways of shielding the decisions being made by the probate judge because they are in the form of vehicles that allow them to avoid that decision process. For instance, your beneficiaries to, let's say your 401k, if your beneficiary is clearly specified, that's something a probate judge will carry out, but will
2: not contest in any way. Those accounts that are that have listed beneficiaries don't become part of that process.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. To clarify, yes. Anything that has a beneficiary designation, life insurance with a beneficiary, yeah, your 401k accounts with a beneficiary, those items will not actually go through probate. It would be only the items that hard you know, probate <laughs> <way. laughs> right. yeah.
1: and, and talk about the cost, Amy, of probate. I mean, isn't that one of the issues? Is that it's expensive?
0: People think it, it is, and there may be some court fees, you know, for, for probate. It, it really depends on the size of your estate, how much, how often. I guess you you are going to court to maybe challenge, if somebody's challenging the estate and you have to go to court, yes, you're going to incur legal fees, um, court fees, that kind of thing. But for simple estates that there isn't, and there really isn't a lot to fear about probate based on the readings that we did, but there can be, you know, if a, a will is challenged, if it you have an extensive estate and it takes time to get through probate then yeah you could incur a lot of fees from what we learned in our
2: research many states now have kind of a streamlined probate for small estates they've they've finally you know stepped up and and you know made it not such a process because even with a small estate, people were losing a lot of money in that process. So, from what we did read, a lot of states have that in place that you know depending on the size, you know fifty thousand and under, a hundred thousand and under, those will those will kind of
0: streamline right through probate, yeah. for example, my my aunt's estate was very was under the just just over a hundred thousand. and 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 sure, we've incurred some expense, you know legal fees, that kind of thing, but but nothing extravagant.
1: Vicky, I think now twice you guys have talked about contesting a will. I mean, is that a common thing? I would think that once it's in will form, how often are people family members coming in and actually contesting what's listed there?
2: I don't have any statistics on that, but from from some of the the reading we've done, it happens more than you'd think that if they if they leave Someone out that they'll want to step in and you know you've seen it on on shows and things too where all of a sudden people you know come out of the woodwork wanting money but it that's a process too you know it, it costs it's it's a costly process so I'm not sure how often it happens
0: I think it happens more often than we think because there are so many blended families nowadays yeah. so that's a reason why people might do it perhaps things were left to a a spouse and the children from a previous marriage may contest something. Or, you know, again, like in our, you know, our family, we have, we each have children from prior marriages. We did things to make sure there wouldn't be, or or we hope there won't be any contesting, but if people don't prepare and, and even talk to their family and communicate with their children about their estate ahead of time, that's when I think people tend to contest wills, when they when they think they're slighted because maybe mom and dad didn't explain things to them and it, about why they did what they did, made the decisions they did. Um, that's when I think people contest them.
1: Vicki, it's an important point because maybe part of the benefit of doing all this estate planning and going through it is it gives you a good chance to sit down with your loved ones and say, this is kind of the where my estate is, this is what I'm planning to do with it. Once I'm not here, this is what my wishes will be. It's a really good chance to sit down and talk to your family.
2: Yeah. And you you don't have to give them details. Like you don't have to give, you you don't have to give them dollar signs. You don't, but by kind of warning and talking and, and bringing it up, you're also kind of normalizing, discussing your passing. And hopefully then they will have the same conversations with their kids someday. And, you know, it's, it's been such a taboo topic in a lot of families that you know we're really trying to to make that something that it's it's not bad to talk about like you need to talk about this we're both we both have you know our parents who are you know making estate plans and that we have to talk with them about it so we're kind of Amy and I talked about this yesterday we're, we're in this sandwich generation where our parents are elderly and our kids are just they're young adults now they're they're over 18 so we have to plan our own estate plans but we're also the executors and and the the power of attorneys for our parents and so we're really modeling a lot for our younger our young adult children on on how to do all of this too so as we learn i talk to my kids about this as i learn something i you know i say someday you're going to have to do this for me you know just like i'm doing it for grandma
1: it's an important point amy especially because we're all thinking about our own estate planning but what about that of our parents? How do you approach your parents to make sure that you don't end up being the executor, having no idea what your parents want you to do with all their assets once they've passed?
0: Well, I'm very fortunate in that my mom and I have been speaking about her finances for years. So we're it's kind of an open book and it's not been difficult for me to to speak with her on those things. So Vicky may have a little bit more of an answer for this, but I would just I would just mention Cameron Huddleston's book, how mm-hmm. to talk to your parents about their finances or uh, no, how, mom and dad we need to talk, right? Yeah, so mom and dad we need is, to talk. Need yeah. to talk I think. She has some great information in there about speaking, you know, to your your parents.
1: Vicky, have you found difficulties in kind of discussing your parents' financial plans and their estate planning, have they been open and talking to that stuff about you?
2: My parents were a great role model for, for us. I have two siblings and they actually got all of their plans into place with some help from, from one of my brothers who, who does more work with their finances, but they went and they actually, you know, prepaid their funerals, prepaid their cemetery plots. You know, they, they had all of that in place. So when my father passed, like the plan just went into place. And, you know, my mother's 82 and everything's in place. Like So it takes so much worry out of how is it going to get paid for? What should we get? Like they they just did all that work ahead of time. And again, that's just one piece of it. But they actually had set up a trust when they were in their 70s and moved all their assets into a trust. And so everything is in the trust. And when they become incapacitated, if my mother becomes incapacitated, my brother is the trustee. And he will move into that role seamlessly without having to go do the conservatorship. I feel very lucky that I was in that position to have that modeled for me on what I need to do for my kids. Amy, Vicki just
1: brought up the magic word trust. And I think, you know, the two big words when we talk about estate planning are wills and trusts. Tell us a little bit about what is a trust and, and why we need to think about one.
0: We spoke earlier about how a will goes through the probate system. One way that people can avoid having assets pass through probate, in addition to having a beneficiary or joint ownership or something like that on it, they can put items in a trust and your trust does not go through probate. So there's a lot of privacy that you can gain by having a trust because probate will become public knowledge where a trust is not. So if privacy is a big concern for your family, if you don't want um, others to know your assets, that kind of thing, a trust could be a valuable document. And people, why you would even consider needing a trust, again, large assets, blended families, having a child with special needs that you might need to take care of. People are even setting up pets, I'm sorry, trust for pets. So, for example, to have uh, a pet taken care of after you pass there's there's a lot of different reasons why you might want to trust unmarried couples too that that's a
2: really important role important piece for unmarried couples and and we you know as we researched for the book, the troubles that can happen to an unmarried couple if they don't have an estate plan in place, if each person doesn't have an estate plan in place can can really can really rock, rock families because without the protection of marriage in, in that relationship, you have to really carefully plan what you want each person to have and what protections you want in place for each person. Otherwise it, it reverts to back to families, not to that unmarried, you know, partner.
1: Yeah. And Vicki, there are lots of these horror stories where a longtime partner of someone is, has to be as evicted, evicted from their home because basically, without those specific documents giving them the rights to the material assets, it generally gets forfeited back to the family.
2: We wrote about that, and you know, we said, you know, don't just assume people will do the right thing. It, it's it's not that they might not want to do the right thing, but there might be a financial need that they need to fulfill too. That you know, instead of just giving that person the house or giving them rights to live in it you know for x years there may be they may have their own need and need the financial the finances from that property so yeah it's um that's that's another reason to have a trust is unmarried couples
1: We are talking with Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock. Their forthcoming book is Estate Planning 101 from Avoiding Probate and Assessing Assets to Establishing Directives and Understanding Taxes, Your Essential Primer to Estate Planning. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is Earn and Invest. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to recommend to you one of my favorite podcasts when it comes to learning about real estate. My friend Coach Carson is the host of the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. There you can learn about this all important asset class. He has two types of episodes one in which he breaks down the tips and tricks to making your way in real estate today, the other is in which he has guests proof-of-concept, real-life examples of how people are forging their way to financial independence using real estate. Check them out at CoachCarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com. It is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock, founders and creators of Women Who Money, and we are talking about estate planning. Amy, we were talking about trusts and wills, and there's like one essential question I always come up with when we get into these topics, be- because they can be complicated. We tend to be DIYers in the personal finance world. We like to do as much ourselves as we can how much estate planning is DIYable
0: if you're wanting to DIY start with the the basics get a he- advanced healthcare directive in place and start with a simple will perhaps when you don't have much or, or there's not a lot of complexity to your situation but as your state becomes more complex you really should consider speaking to an attorney, like I said, at least for a consultation. And with our book, what we tried to do is make it so if you did want a DIY, you would be able to do those basic elements of your estate plan. And if you did need to go to an attorney, the book is going to prepare you and give you all the information that you're going to need to have together to speak with an attorney. It's going to give you ideas of questions to ask your attorney, things to speak about. When I went to my attorney in my 40s to start this process,
2: this is the book I wish I would have had. <laughs> this is what I this is what I wanted. I wanted to know all of this before I went to talk to the attorney so that I was informed. Again, it, there were probably books I could have, you know, found, but a lot of them are written at a level that they're written for people who have more legal background than, than I have. When I went to the attorney, they handed us this big packet and said, you know, here, fill this out and come back and we'll talk. And, you know, it was check, big checklists, and, which was fine, but I could have done a lot of the pre-planning ahead. We didn't need to sit with the attorney for an hour to go over all the, all the different things we were going to have to think about. Like I could have had that done ahead of time. and and I wish I would have taken more time because then when we got the checklist, we filled it out a week later, we took it in and then our plan was made. And I I would have rather have had a month or two to sit and, and go through scenarios and think about options. And again, if, if your situation's, you know, pretty simple, it's not, it's really not a big task, but in a blended family, you know, with assets and with some different We had rental properties at the time. Like We we had to make some decisions. And and if kids were with us, because our kids were minors at that time, what would happen with kids if one child was with us and not the other child with us or both with us? There there was a lot to think through. And I could have done more pre-work if I I had a book like this. One thing I often think about
1: that your book reminded me of is when you DIY things, there are many things that you don't know you're leaving out. I was reading interestedly about this idea of disinheritance, something that people don't normally think about when you don't put someone in your will, Vicki, basically you're doing something called disinheriting them. Basically, that's going to shield them from getting any of your assets. But you might even want to go as far as make a note that you're disinheriting them, because if you don't, then your will becomes open to being contested. And things like this, you would never know if you were DIYing it unless you really did a deep dive into this information,
2: right. yeah, we even uh, have created some letter templates to help with how you'd want to do some of that. You know, you think how would I write a letter to someone that I don't want them to have any of my assets? Someone I love, you know, someone one of my loved ones. So we have created some starters for some of that as well in some supplemental materials.
1: A lot of this gets back to what you were talking about before, which is just good communication. Uh, it's not just having the right legal documents, etc., but making sure that people understand and know what your plans are before these tools start to take effect. Amy, we've talked about estate planning 101, the book, but you guys are also the creators and founders of Women Who Money. Is estate planning different from women? Is it different for women versus men? Is there anything that, that a woman has to think about differently?
0: Um, maybe just that, they, that she may live longer, and so she may need to make changes to her estate plan more often especially as she ages i also think that we all we need to make sure that we're protecting ourselves enough
2: the chance that we will live longer is you know is is valid and that we're not too quick to fund other people too soon that we don't They'll they'll be our assets when we're gone too, and and then we can pass things on. But we have to be careful along the way to keep our financial house in order to support us. You know, instead of in, instead of relying on our children to support us, let let our assets go to them after. Um, but I know as a mom, you know that's difficult sometimes. You you really want to you know, and, and as a dad, obviously, but you know we want to help our children. We we really need to make sure that we take care of ourselves first. Like that's our responsibility. So that that's just one other piece. Yeah, one thing I've noticed in hospice is time and time again,
1: it's usually the female child of a couple who ends up doing a lot of the end of life planning. So whether it is fair or not, my experience is that women end up doing a lot more of this work with their parents. And therefore, I think it's important for better or for worse, for them to understand the process. And I think your book goes a far way in teaching us all of those necessities. Let's try to sum it up, Amy. What is
0: the biggest pitfall
1: young people face today when it comes to estate planning?
0: I guess it would just be not knowing where to start or thinking that they don't need an estate plan because they don't have any assets, especially when people are have negative net worth because they're coming out of college and they have student loans, and they they don't think they have anything worth making sure it's listed somewhere, or, you know, they don't understand that they may need a health care directive. They're, they're young. They're just starting life. They don't want to be thinking about end of life or incapacitation. So it, it probably would just be that, the misunderstanding of what estate planning is. We said it's, the, the word estate planning is just it's not accurate. I think as Vicki said, you know, kind of for this day and age of what we consider an estate, the young people may not understand that there's, that estate planning isn't just about a will or a trust. It's also about building your estate. And that's, we also try to cover in this book is what is an estate and how do you go about building it? How do you go about creating wealth for yourself? How do you go about protecting yourself and your family with life insurance or disability insurance or even insurance on your home and property, those kinds of things. So we we did try to also talk about how how you're going to go about building your wealth. And I think that young people, it's you know, combination of things. They're just starting life. So they don't have much yet. They're not sure how they're going to create it. And then they don't even know what to protect.
1: And Vicky, besides reading estate planning 101, are there some good resources out there for people who are you know, at the point where they're ready to jump in, but don't know where to start?
2: Yeah, I think there are plenty of resources out there. It's vetting them, vetting, trying to figure out if you Google how to do an estate plan or DIY, DIY an estate plan, you'll get plenty of hits on different services that'll that will do those plans. And again, we're not against the DIY model for people that have those really simple estates and who are just getting started. I probably would have done that too in my 20s. But the readability and, and sometimes the, the lack of, they're, they're just not all that comprehensive. Sometimes you actually have to dig through multiple, multiple articles to get a question answered because we had questions as we were researching and you know it, it was a deep dive a lot of times to find something that had all the answers and that we could understand.
1: Well, I wanted to thank you guys, Vicki Cook and Amy Blacklock, for coming on and talking about Estate Planning 101. It drops August 3rd, and you've really brought some clarity to what is normally a very difficult conversation. Maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe if we just understood the 101, we could get back to doing what's best for us and our families, I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where can we find you? Amy, what's going on? And if people want to learn more, how can they reach you?
0: Yeah, we're just continuing to put out content on money.com. I did want to mention, as Vicki kind of hinted to, we do have some additional resources there that will go along with the book. You can find those at womenwhomoney.com slash estate dash planning, dash tools. We have a lot of checklists there, workbooks, items that uh, people could use to, as they go through the book. What's up next is really we're, we continue to develop websites and other, other plans. So we're, we never stop thinking about new content that we want to put out there. So we, we have a couple other websites that we've either launched or are getting ready to launch. So we'll have more news about that. Best place to find me is on Women Who Money or on Twitter at Life Simplified. And Vicki, I imagine you're
1: very excited for August 3rd. Tell us what's going on. And if people want to know how to contact you directly, how should they reach you?
2: Again, Women Who Money is the best place to find me as well. You can reach us there on our contact page. Yeah, we're we're busy. I'm I'm just wrapping up my career. I'll be retiring officially next spring and give us more time to work on all these other adventures.
1: This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Amy Blacklock and Vicky Cook. That's a wrap. Have you been to the Earn and Invest Facebook group? That is at earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. There we discuss similar topics to what you hear on the podcast, but it is going on Monday through Sunday, every day of the week, 24-7. Catch up on what's happening in personal finance, the economy, and the world in general. Here is your chance to become part of the Earn and Invest community. Go ahead to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. We'll see you there. Cool.
0: Thank you. Yes. We, we never we, we never stumbled stumbled said too thank much. You. Oh my! Anna, gosh.
1: Don't 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 worry about the stumbling. The whole point of this is that I can edit around all of those things. Okay. Um, but we got a lot of good information there. And um, tell me, was there anything you feel like in the book that we didn't talk about? Because I can splice things in. So, is there anything you're like, oh, we really need to include this as part of the talk?
2: No, I think you you hit the young part. I mean, that was uh, that's important to us. Is that you know. Young and healthy is the time to do these. <laughs>
0: uh, maybe about the digital assets. Yeah,
1: tell me so, a little more about that. How do digital assets play into your estate plan?
0: So, uh, you know, we've all, we all, oh, sorry. Vicki, could you speak to that a little bit more? Cause you wrote the digital that assets. That, yeah. Just, Are you talking about we, like your social media and all that? Yeah. Okay. Just that we all have digital assets that we don't, Maybe maybe I'll end up. That we that have we digital, haven't really thought about
2: planning for. Yeah, it.
0: Um, with our everybody's presence online, we all have these digital assets that we might um, not even think about as assets, such as a, a Twitter account or an Instagram account or a website or a iCloud storage, those kinds of things. And each um, what am I say? Each uh, platform may have different rules about who can take over your account uh, once you pass, how you can go about naming someone to take over the account. And I don't know, I was going to say in here is the account, close it, or close it, correct. Close it. Uh, who is entitled to the property that's in the account, emails or or photos or that kind of a thing.
1: I made it to page 220 of your book. So that's like 249. <laughs> that's probably <why. laughs>
2: <laughs> I didn't get to the last like, you know, what's funny is that's, be that's one that you just don't think about though. Like, yeah. especially people our age, like you, you are know, like, oh yeah, what's going to happen to your website or your podcast? Like it has value. Like it should be named somewhere. Yeah.
1: And it only has value, but it, yeah, it, it, it might not have like a physical cash value, but it has a lot of value to your family and friends right. and, um and to kind of your you know, what's left of you once, once physically you're not here anymore. So it's, it's an interesting topic. Um, thank you guys for coming on. This is really cool. I thought the book was really well done. I thought it brought a lot of clarity and certainly brought up. So I feel like I've done a lot of reading on estate planning, but I thought it brought up a lot of ideas and issues that I hadn't thought about previously um, that are connected. So congratulations. It is no small thing to write a book, much less a book on something that I think is fairly complicated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, thank, thank you, and thank we're not you. lawyers. You know, we we tried yeah. to really, you know, write yeah. it at a level that people could understand. Like it's tough. And anything you think we missed? Anything you missed? Um, I Again, mean,
0: knowing it's a one-on-one topic,
1: but anything? no. I mean, I think you guys were pretty extensive. I mean, it spanned my knowledge for sure. Like there was nothing I was like, yeah. oh, I learned this long time ago, and it wasn't in here. Um, the problem would be you would have to start going into much more technical detail to go further. And I don't think it would really fulfill the purpose anymore yeah. because the truth of the matter is once you get to needing that technical detail, it's time to get a lawyer. And, right. and that's right. the truth. And um, it's time to really get and And, you know, I think the DIY, my personal opinion is for estate planning, the DIYing is really for the most basic, right? So you've done all of your transfer on desk stuff. You've done all your beneficiaries. You are young. You don't have much out there you can DIY a simple will and, and feel good about it. But I think once you hit any kind of real adulthood, uh, I think it's just too complicated. Right. And certainly once you have any kind of assets, because, you know, just understanding, and we didn't talk about the taxation issue, right. But just understanding how estates are taxed and when a trust is needed and why, and how to avoid probate with a trust for certain things. I mean, Oh, that gets really darn complicated without a, yeah. a lawyer. So mm-hmm. let's say you're going to set up your own trust, but then you have to retitle your house. I mean, to put it in the trust so that if both you and your spouse die at the same time, that it goes seamlessly to whoever's. I mean, that kind of stuff, you get to the point where, okay, you really kind of need a lawyer to guide you through some of that and, and not mess it up. For sure. For sure. right? For sure, because right? it's really easy to mess oh, this yeah. stuff up. And our, our legal system is unforgiving when it comes to a bunch of that stuff. So yeah.